Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, as we come before you this morning, we just recognize, God, it's awesome we get together. Whatever happened in the car on the way here, whatever weight we've carried in, whatever distraction even as I pray is in our mind right now, God, you're over it all. There isn't a situation in this room you are unaware of. I give you glory for that. And all of that attention you've got to give everyone, you give all of yourself to us all. You are good. You are mighty. You are beautiful. You are worthy to be praised. And so God, speak to us today. Shape us today. Form us today. In your mighty name we pray. Less of me, more of you. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. And, and if, I've, uh, if you've been part of New Life for a while, you will have known that I've, I've kind of talked about this before. But when I was growing up, I had a massive phobia of this chair. Can anyone else relate? Can anyone else relate? This is just any chair, is it? It's also not a barber's chair, in case you're confused. This is a torture device. This is a place where we come close to hell. In fact, I would believe that you know, there was a time in my life I thought if I was to find myself in hell, it would be looking a little bit like this. If you're a dentist in this room, God loves you. You belong here with us, and we'd love to pray for you after the service. When I was growing up, um, I had something called hyperplastic teeth. I lost my first tooth, not by falling out, but by rotting um, at the age of three. I had terrible teeth, still have terrible teeth. I'm not going to show you later. Don't ask. They're horrible. Um, but when young, hyperplastic teeth meant that you know, you, had, you had sleepy juice whenever you go to the dentist so that they can you know, do horrible things in your mouth. But I had sleepy juice, but it never worked. So they would give me that needle like three to four times, and I would still feel everything in my mouth. And at the end of it, I'd rub, 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 and I could still feel everything. It was horrible. And so a lot of my childhood was torture. I had, horror, I had this one moment where one of my teeth split straight down the middle to the root, and I had to go in and pull it out piece by piece as like a nine-year-old kid. I know. Some of you are like, oh, that, I would have loved the dentist to feel that way when they were doing that. You would all make great dentists. There's this moment, however, when I turned 18, and I, I was like, you know what? I'm independent now. I get to take care of my own oral hygiene, and I'm never going back to the dentist ever again. Who's with me? Awesome. I thought it was smart. But let I just say, you put your hand up, you just made a dumb decision. Because I'm not qualified to take care of my own oral hygiene. It was two years later when I was woken up in the middle of the night. There was a really bad toothache in my mouth. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Um, I'm like, I'll just do what I always do and pretend it's not there. Have another Mars bar, go back to sleep. Like, it's just, you know, where I was at. And then I woke up in the morning, still, it was fine. I'm like, whatever, that's cool. I don't need to floss. I'll just overcome it with the power of my mind. Um, sounds like a 20-year-old, right? Like we think we're invincible. And it gets worse to the point where I'm actually not able to sleep for three nights. I'm not able to sleep in a row. And it's so bad. I'm like, I will do anything to relieve myself of this pain. At that point, there were two options. Either I let my dad, you know, help me pull the thing out. Or I go to the dentist. And it was like the lesser of two evils. I didn't know which one it was. So I was like, okay, I'll just try the dentist. Now, I remember walking into the dentist. I was so filled with fear because I'd asked people what they thought was wrong, which is always a great idea when you have something wrong with you. Go get people unqualified to give you their medical opinion. Nothing has ever gone wrong with that in the history of mankind. And so I did. And they're like, oh, it sounds like you need a root canal. And I'm like, what the heck is a root canal? So I went and Googled a root canal. Never Google dental procedures. The drill is this long. For those of you who've never had it, they take off the top of your tooth and they drill down into your root and they, drill, they flush out the, the, um, the nerve. 
right? Sounds horrible. It is horrible. And there's this moment where I'm like, I'm filled with fear. I'd say, oh, but you know, surely it doesn't hurt. And everyone would look at me in the eye and be like, it's the most excruciating thing you will ever go through. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm now filled with fear. Why do we do that, by the way? Why do we fill each other with fear around medical procedures? Such a bizarre thing. I'm filled with fear. So I go to the dentist and I go in. I still remember. I remember her face. I remember everything about that day. I sat in the chair and I began watching her with beady eyes. I'm like, you keep those hands where I can see them, young lady. I'm watching you. And she's like, okay, let me check out your mouth. And I'm like, wait, I'll tell you when I'm ready for you to check out my mouth. You may now check out my mouth. And so I open my mouth and you know, I'm watching her get the instruments and the mirrors around, that kind of thing. She did an x-ray and she's like, ah, yes, okay. You're going to need a root canal. And I'm like, I knew it. My unqualified friends were right. And, she, and I, started to, I actually got really emotional about it. And she's like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, I'm really scared. She's like, why are you scared? I'm like, I know what you're about to do. I'm on to you, lady. All right, you, you're going to hurt me. She's like, what do you mean I'm going to hurt you? So I've heard about these root canals. They hurt. She said, who told you that? I'm like, there's people that I know. My friends. And she's like, oh, I didn't know you had so many dentists as friends. I'm like, I don't have any, I don't have any friends that are dentists. I have friends, just no friends that are dentists. And she's like, ah, so you, based on an unqualified opinion, you think this is going to hurt. So Mark, I went to medical school. She said, I, I worked really hard for this. I pride myself on not causing pain. You can choose to either trust your friends or trust me. But let me tell you this, you will not be in pain. And I was like, okay. She's like, all I need you to do is trust me. I looked her in the eyes and I said, no. <laughs> but I had no choice, right? So she went ahead. And I'll tell you this, for those of you going to root canals, to this day, it didn't hurt. It was amazing. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I'd just say get a better dentist. Like, it's, my dentist was great and it was phenomenal. So much so, I've gone back for another three root canals in my life. It's awesome. I had another one just a couple of weeks ago. The only thing that sucks about the dentist is the bill with the dentist, right? And I'm now paying back in dividends, taking on my own oral hygiene, which is interesting, friends, because one encounter changed my whole perspective of dentists. One encounter. One encounter with a person who was qualified, who was good, who could be trusted, shifted my whole perspective. I'm no longer afraid of dentists. I see this as a chair of renewal, of redemption, of healing. It's awesome. I have no problem with dentists. I've got good friends. I go to Ben Swinley just across the road. You should go as well. Free shout out. doesn't go to church. He will one day in Jesus' name. Amen. There's this moment, right, where an encounter changes it all. And I say that today because I think some of us have a similar view of Christianity and Jesus like I do with dentists. You know, new life has become a bit of a haven for people healing from church, people healing from Christianity, and people healing from bad experiences of the faith. And can I just say, that's really valid. Christians do some dumb things. I've done some dumb things. But I believe you're one encounter away from having your redemption, from, from having the person of Jesus Christ redeemed and known to you as someone better than you could ever possibly imagine. There are some of you here today who have never met Jesus, but you've made assumptions about him. And I know this, that you're one encounter away from having your life transformed and changed, your soul healed. Friends, you're a terrible soul, soul carer. Jesus is an expert one. Just like I can't take care of my mouth, you were never meant to take care of your soul on your own. And there is a man named Jesus who 2,000 years ago, he stepped into Jewish society 
And the Jews, they had these ideas of the Messiah. They thought they knew who he was. All this stuff about him. They'd made all these assumptions. And Jesus rocked up in the flesh and people encountered him for the first time. The blind could see after an encounter with Jesus. The dead came back to life. The lame could walk. The doubters were assured. Those who were lonely were given hope and community. And the skeptical found faith, friends. An encounter with Jesus can change everything. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, it changed many lives in the Middle East. And ever since then, my belief is that Jesus is not dead, but the living and breathing Jesus Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit today is present with us and longs for you to encounter Him anew and afresh. But can I tell you this? Not everyone that encountered Jesus changed. To just assume that all you need is to know Jesus is real. Friends, people chatted to him, talked with him, and some of them left in a worse place than they started. Why? Because they didn't want what he had to offer. The root canal came at too high a price. We all have a moment where I believe every single person in this room and every single person's ever lived will one day encounter Jesus. What matters is not that experience, but our response. How will you respond to Jesus today? And in this series, we want to look at six different individuals, men and women, throughout the life, throughout the stories of the Gospels, who encountered Jesus and had a moment to respond. Some of them responded and experienced transformation. Others were not sure, and some of them left disappointed. And friends, I think we'll find us all in these stories. Today, we stumble into the book of John. We don't stumble. We intentionally walk into the book of the Gospel of John. The biography of Jesus Christ is written by John. And John is this beautiful book, a beautiful one of the Gospels, the fourth, of the, the fourth Gospel found in your Word. And there's this moment in the book of John in chapter 3 where Jesus encounters a man named Nicodemus. Where Jesus encounters a man named Nicodemus. Friends, if you have your Bibles with you, if you want to turn them on, open your screen or flick open your physical Bible, it'd be amazing. And I have this note written. We were at Catalyst, which is our ministry for emerging leaders. And a beautiful note written here, which says that God's word, God's written word is God's permanent address. What do I mean by that? I mean that the way we encounter Jesus so often by opening the word he's given us to know him. So John chapter 3, we read, this beautiful encounter with the person of Nicodemus. We're going to jump straight there today. In John chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. Everyone say Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Who was a member of the ruling council, Jewish ruling council. So we already find out a lot about this man named Nicodemus. He's not unlike you and I. He has a job. He has a role. He has a place in society. Now, if you've been in church for any period of time, you will know what a Pharisee is. You'll know that a Pharisee is someone who is the religious elite of those days. Now, if you're new to church, that's okay. A Pharisee is a word you'll hear a lot, especially as you read the Bibles. And Pharisees actually get a pretty hard rap. People seem to make out the Pharisees like they're the bad guys and everyone else was good. I actually think Pharisees were pretty decent people. The reason why I say that is that they were a reaction to what was happening around them. They read the Old Testament. They understood what the Jewish people were like. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people kept on neglecting God, rebelling against God, walking away from His law, doing their own thing. So you have this group of people who were like, well, let's stop this. But instead of correcting into reliance upon God, the Pharisees correct into reliance upon themselves. And so they built laws and rules to protect their behavior. They counted out the steps they would walk on the Sabbath day. They became stricter and they created the thing which has been the bane of human existence for most of world history, a religious system that was built on legalism, which meant you had to earn to achieve. And the Pharisees were honestly just these people trying to do their best, but they overcorrected. And Nicodemus 
this member of this ruling religious elite who's part of what's known as the Jerusalem Council, which is made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were the religious authority over the Jewish faith back thousands of years ago. So the reason why I say that is this man is not just any man. Anyone would have stood and took notice if Nicodemus rocked up on their doorstep. He was someone of authority, of note, and people recognized him as soon as they saw him. And this man named Nicodemus, this individual, he walks in to Jesus' world. And we read on even the time of night where Nicodemus discovers. He came to Jesus at night. Now, back in those days without electricity, we can only assume there's a reason why he's coming at night. That in the daytime is when most of the Jewish activity would happen. So he's coming at night either because he didn't want to bother Jesus during the day or most theologians would, would think because he wasn't wanting everyone to be aware of this conversation. Man of high repute, high authority, comes to Jesus when no one else is around, when Jesus is by himself. And he says this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you were doing if, you, if, you were, if God were not with him. Nicodemus is curious. He's not only heard about Jesus, he's seen Jesus, he's, he's listened to him. And he's developed assumptions about who Jesus is. I just want to pause here and we go, oh, Nicodemus seems to be you know, getting stuff right. Nicodemus does something that we all do. He's decided to assume certain things about who Jesus is. And he rocks up and tells Jesus who he's decided Jesus to be. It's interesting the language he uses, isn't it? Rabbi, we have, we know that you are a teacher. He's a man by himself with another man and he uses the plural of we. In my experience as a pastor, when anyone comes to me in a conversation and they use the word we to describe an opinion, what they're really doing is they're hiding behind a group of people to tell me what they actually think. You know what I'm saying? You know when people are like, I've heard lots of people say, when anyone says that to me, they usually mean two people or themselves. <laughs> Just anyone says, hey, everybody's saying, no one knows everybody. No one. We know. I know, I think, is what Nicodemus is saying. That you're a teacher. See, Nicodemus is coming because I think he's a bit shy. And so in this moment when people are shy or they're insecure, what do they do? They play a power play. So what does he do with Jesus? He's bringing Jesus down. Hey, just so you know, we know that you're a teacher. You know, we've decided that. We've given you affirmation as if Jesus needed it. But friends, we can ridicule Nicodemus for this, but I think we do this too. Hey, Jesus, this is who I'm comfortable with you being. I've, I've made this decision. That's where you sit in my world. But in my experience, friends, if you're going to decide who Jesus is, you're going to be sorely disappointed and uncomfortable when you come into an encounter in reality with the living Jesus Christ. We don't decide who Jesus is. We merely discover it. Jesus doesn't change. He's not a figment of your imagination that you get to chop and change based on how you want him to make you feel comfortable. He, as Aslan would say, is not safe, but he is good. As, Aslan, as C.S. Lewis would say about Aslan, read Narnia, it's amazing. There's this moment where he rocks up and he gives Jesus this assumption. And the one question I'll give you today, what assumptions have you made about Jesus that may not be true? Because these may be inhibitions to actually preventing you from encountering the living, breathing Christ because he doesn't match what your mind has decided he is. Who is the best person to tell us who Jesus is? Jesus himself. So how does Jesus respond? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this part should confuse us a little. 
Nicodemus has rocked up and he said, hey, this is who I've decided you to be and it seems like you're from God. Now, in that moment, the way you usually respond is you would answer the statement. You'd be like, oh, thank you so much for your kind compliment. Oh, thanks so much for having a conversation without me with your friends. That's awesome. Jesus doesn't even acknowledge what's just been said. He turns around and he goes, let me tell you who makes it into the kingdom of God, Nicodemus. It's almost like you coming up to me after the service and being like, Michael, great sermon. Just want to let you know how to chat with a bunch of people. We think you can keep preaching. Well done. Good for you. I, uh, seems like you're doing some stuff on behalf of God. Really enjoy it. Thank you so much. And I turn around and go, I'm not sure you're in the kingdom of God. You'd be like, that got serious real fast. What the heck was that about? It's a completely disjointed statement. Why? What we want to rock up and talk to Jesus about sometimes isn't what Jesus needs to talk to us about. And so he diverts the conversation. Friends, Jesus is socially awkward more often than not. He's not worried about social etiquette. He didn't come to make you comfortable. He came to redeem a soul. He didn't come to make you pleased. He came to make you new. And so when we walk up to Jesus, sometimes we've got to realize he didn't come to play with him what we think is appropriate. He came for a purpose. And he says this, let me tell you what it means to come into the kingdom of God. You can only make it into the kingdom of God if you were born again. Everyone say born again. Now, if you grew up in the 90s like I did and had any experience with the Pentecostal church, then there's probably some concerns you're raising around this. Like, I remember born again people. You know, I remember that president who was like, I'm a born again Christian. Or that prime minister who said, I'm a born again prime minister. Or maybe you're like me and you raised up and people used to say, hey, you're a Christian. You're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then they go, but are you a born again Christian? And you're like, what? Is there a difference? Like, Yes. I'm a born-again And suddenly, I don't know, you might be new to Christianity, you might not know, or maybe you're young, but it was this weird subculture in Christianity when I was growing up where there was like a super elite group of people who knew they were born again, and then everybody else. It was like the Pentecostals, and then there was like the Baptists kind of thing. Like it was just like these two kind of groups of people. I'm just kidding. My wife was a Baptist. She's awesome. There's this moment where like you have this split. And here's the problem is that I grew up thinking born again was just a weird way weird Christians spoke about loving Jesus. And so I'm like, we, we kind of threw it out. We don't talk about this much anymore. But we've thrown out something that mankind didn't create. Mankind didn't come up with the term born again. Jesus Christ was the first person to talk about this thing. He doesn't seem to say it's optional. He, he seems to say, no, essential to what the kingdom of God came to do and achieve is for people to be born again. So I'd ask you this quite clearly. If you're a follower of Jesus, do you know what it means to be born again? Are you born again? is one of the greatest questions we can ask and challenge ourselves with. Born again should not be something that we use to garner political votes from people who need to be convinced about the authenticity of our faith, but a personal decision about how we've responded to the work of Jesus Christ. Now, Nicodemus, rightly so, hears this word born again and gets really confused. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus says, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Now, why does he say this? Because he passed year nine biology. He, does, he goes and goes, um, I've, I've seen a couple of births. I don't quite know how this is going to work out. What do you mean someone, how do they get back here? What the heck? Maybe you're sitting there, you're not a Christian. You're like, this is weird. Can I just tell you? Yes, it is. There's nothing normal about what Jesus is saying. If you think the words born again are normal, you've been in church for too long. It's bizarre. And Jesus is trying to be bizarre. He's trying to jar. He's trying to shock. He's not trying to please and make people comfortable. He's going to go, I'm going to do something you don't think is possible. I've come to make our people born again. And we 
today must know the call of Jesus Christ is not that you come and affirm Him. It's not that you come and sing a song about Him or that you sit in church. God's hope for your life is that you would be born again. Every single one of us. It's not a subset of Christianity. There is no difference between who is a Christian and who is born again. Same thing. Same thing. And when the response to Nicodemus going, I can't work this out. Jesus goes, let me give you a hand. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, he says. It's saying, my say, you must be born again. For the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Once again, Jesus is being utterly confusing here. And if you're going, what? Born of water and spirit? Born of flesh and spirit? Wind's blowing around everywhere? Okay. Can I say you're in good company? I don't think this is clear. Because Jesus isn't necessarily first talking to you. He's talking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus would have understood a little bit about Jesus was highlighting. When Jesus says, to be born again, you must be born of both water and spirit. Jesus is saying, how well do you know your scriptures, O man of God? Do you remember what it means to be born of word and spirit? In fact, Jesus goes further than that. He says, who makes it into the kingdom of God on their own? Nicodemus, who gets in? Let me be clear. Let me take you back to where we see that. Very truly, I tell you, no one. What's he looking at Nicodemus and going, Hey, Nicodemus, if you don't want to do what I just say in this next moment, you don't make the cut. And Nicodemus would have been highly offended by this. Because he would have been, but I'm a Pharisee. I've done everything right. I'm a good person. I've not... I am righteous. I'm moral. People bow. Like, they make way for me. What do you mean I don't make it in? Jesus says, no. There's only one kind of person can make it in. Not those who go to New Life. Not those that go to another church. Not those that do or don't attend Bible college or whatever. No, no, no. One kind of person. Those who are born of the Word and the Spirit. What? When Jesus says this, he's actually referencing a prophecy from the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. There's a lot of text here, so don't get overwhelmed by the text. If that's overwhelming, listen to my voice. The prophet Ezekiel saying to the nation of Israel in the midst of their lostness and despair, when they are broken and they are hurting and they feel like there's no hope for tomorrow, the prophet Ezekiel comes along and he gives them the words of God who says this to them, I will sprinkle hundreds of years before Christ. I will sprinkle water on you and you will be clean. God says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What Jesus is doing to Nicodemus is he's saying this, who is the chief agent in your transformation? Who is it that is actually responsible in making you a good person? And Nicodemus would say, me, it's me. And Jesus is saying, you've forgotten the very scriptures you claim to teach. God never said it's on you. Hundreds of years before me, Ezekiel told you that God says this, I, I will do something in you. Not you. You can't. 
If we keep asking humanity to fix itself, then that's a different form of stupidity, expecting the same thing, different results by doing the same thing over and over and over again. And God says, I'm not going to expect you to do what you've proven you're incapable of doing, transforming the human heart. That's my job. What does he say? I'm going to wash you with water. I'm going to cleanse you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm not going to make you look holy. I'm going to make you holy. Why? Because only God, friends, this is what Jesus is trying to say, only God can transform the human heart. Some of you will come here today with hearts of stone. And you think the thing that will transform your heart is religious observance. Rocking up to church, going on a small group, being a nice person, and you're wondering why it's not working. Because it never has. Christianity, in the words of Dallas Willard, is not about behavior modification but spiritual transformation. And you can't do it on your own. But here's the good news. Jesus doesn't ask you to. The Pharisees just waited upon themselves and we've got to be good enough. We've got to work hard. We've got to do this. And they forgot the point of their mistake was that they over-focused on themselves. And Jesus is like, come back and focus on me. Come back and focus on me. And what will I do? I will make you new again. This is why the whole book of John actually has this theme of birth in it. In John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, the writer John says, He, Jesus, came to that which was His own, but His own didn't receive Him. Yet to all who do receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The whole idea of the kingdom of God is that a people would be born again. People would be made new. This is more than just flesh giving birth to flesh, what happens when you were brought into this world. This is about your spirit coming alive, which can only happen, not from humanity, but from above. See, the word again, born again in Greek, is actually also translated as born from above. Born from above. Which means that what Jesus is trying to communicate to this man named Nicodemus is simply this You can't fix yourself, Nicodemus. Stop pretending like it works. To those of you disenchanted with religion, to those of you hurt by Christianity, to those of you exploring Christianity, to those of you who think that the thing that got you into the kingdom of God was how early you woke up to read your Bible this morning, can I tell you, the only thing that gets us into the kingdom of God is not what we do, but what we res- how we respond to what Jesus has done. And this is humbling. A guy named Timothy Keller says it like this. This is an astonishing thing to say to a man like Nicodemus. Jesus is saying that the pimps and the prostitutes outside on the street are in the same position spiritually as he is. There is Nicodemus, flush with his moral and spiritual compliments. And there is someone out on the street who is homeless and addicted. And as far as God is concerned, they are equally lost. They both have to start from scratch. They both have to be born again. They both need eternal spiritual life or something will eat them alive and that life is going to have to be a free gift. Have you been born again, friends? Michael, what does that mean? A guy named Des Oatridge, when translating this passage into the the language of uh, the Papua New Guinea people, he wrestled with this word born again. didn't didn't translate well in John chapter 3, verse 3. And so he asked the local translator and he said, oh, we actually have a tradition now in our tribe, which is kind of like this. 
Sometimes a person goes wrong, he says, and we're not listening to anybody. We all get together in the village and place that person in the midst of us. The elders talk to him for a long time. They say, you've gone wrong. All your thoughts, intentions, and values are wrong. Now you have to become a baby again and start to relearn everything right. And so when he translated this text into what's known as Binamurian, it says this, No one can see the kingdom of God unless he has become a baby again and relearns everything from God's word. Some of us think that what it means to be a Christian is that we are just trying to be better people. Jesus didn't come to make you better. He didn't come to improve your life. He didn't come to just give you a second chance. I actually think that that's wrong. Sometimes we talk about Christianity as if it's a second chance. I get a second go at trying again. It's not about that. Because that's you still trying. That's you still going, okay, God's forgiven my sins. Now I'll have a go. If Jesus took you back to the point of birth again, and you had a second point from the minute you were zero to now, you would still make mistakes. You would still stuff it up. Because whilst it's on you, you're the problem that you can't fix. But what Jesus is saying is, it doesn't have to be on you anymore. Only I can transform the human heart. And if you're willing, I don't want to push reset. I want to birth something new. This is why in the Bible it says, Fiona said at the end of the first verse, the old has come, the old has gone, the new has come. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. We have new desires, new identity, new hopes. And the thing I'd ask you today is, do you know you're born again? Do you know that you are not a better version of your old self? That you are a new creation in Christ? That who you were is not who you are? And if you're here today and you think your past disqualifies you, then it disqualifies me too, friends. If your sin is powerful enough to stop Jesus from saving you, then my sin is powerful enough to stop Jesus from saving me. We are the same, but for the grace of God. That is the truth. And Nicodemus asks the great question that we should all ask. How can this be? He says, we should all ask this question. How do I get transformed? What do I have to do? Isn't this beautiful? Nicodemus wants to know the 50-step plan to transformation, an idiot's guide to being born again. What do I have to do, Jesus? What ritual do I have to perform? And Jesus reprimands him and he says, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand this. You know it's not worked. Stop doing. And he tells him a story. He says, do you remember when, he doesn't say it like this, I'm paraphrasing. Do you remember when the Israelites were in the desert, Nicodemus? In thousands of years before this moment, and they sinned against God, and God sent a plague of snakes upon them. And the snakes were venomous. They bit the, 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 the Israelites, and they were dying. And the Israelites called out to God, saying, Sorry for being wayward from you. We come back. We look back to you. What do we have to do? And he tells Moses, Put a serpent on a stick, and raise, a bronze serpent on a stick, and raise it up before the people. And all they will have to do is look at the serpent, and they shall be saved. And they do it in the, in, in the Bible. You can go read in the book of Exodus. And, they, and it happens, and there's this moment where they look to the sign of salvation. And they delivered from their pain. What did they do? All they did was look to God. And what Jesus says to, to Nicodemus right now, he says it's the exact same principle that you should know. The exact same principle that you should know. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. 
Friends, you want to know what it means to be born again? It's about where you look when you are broken. It's about where you fall when you're ashamed. It's about to whom you run. You can't fix yourself. And I just want to challenge some of us at New Life who have forgotten this. We sometimes think that Jesus got us into Christianity and like the gospel saved us and now I'm forgiven, but now it's my job. I've got to work hard. I've got to be good enough. And if I fail, that's on me. When did Jesus ever say that? We forget that Jesus doesn't just give you, get you in to his family. His grace wants to sustain you in his family as well. Some of you are carrying weight and guilt and shame of not being a good enough Christian. And Jesus is like, I don't want you to focus on your good enough, but focus on the fact that I am good enough. That's what changes you. Stop looking at you. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah, but Jesus, I, I'm struggling. No, 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 no. Look at me. I am the beauty which consumes your heart. I am the one which offers salvation to your soul. Look to me, Jesus says, and only those who turn and repent who turn away from the way they're living and relying on themselves and trust in Jesus and believe shall be saved. This is why John 3.16 is so important because it happens the moment after. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Nicodemus, that whosoever believes in Him shall not die but have everlasting life. Friends, this is the hope of the gospel. Have you been born again? And can I tell you how you know? You've changed. Now people are like, yeah, no, no, quantify that for me, Michael. What do you mean? I don't need to for people who know. You've changed. Sin is no longer as sweet. It's not that we don't sin. Flip, I still sin. Some of you are like, oh, need a new church. All of our pastoral team do. But we no longer desire to. There's this moment Someone's clapping that we all sin. No, I'm kidding. That's you. You're right. <laughs> There's this moment, right, where I have a new identity. I'm no longer Michael Hands who tries to impress you with how good I am at preaching. I'm Michael Hands, the son of God. If you hated this sermon today, can I tell you the truth? Jesus still loves me. Man, it's awesome. Some of you fell asleep. I know. I see everything. Jesus still loves me. It's great. Can I tell you the truth? I have a new relationship with others. Some people hate me in this world. Guess what? They're the image of God. God loves them. So shall I. There's this change. And I don't do any of that perfectly, but there's a trajectory of my heart. Why? Because I'm a baby. He's learning to walk. I'm not trying to show Jesus I can run. I'm relying on his strength to feed me, to nourish me, to take me home, friends. Are you born again? And I want to tell you today that right now in this moment, I've been praying all week and the spiritual warfare has been thick this week in our church and in our staff team. Because I believe there are people right now who Jesus is saying, stop trying. It's time to be born again. There are Christians in this room who think that your faith has been about what you know and what you do. And I want to challenge, actually, I don't know if you've ever been born again. Because your heart's not regenerate. You don't desire God. You desire to be good. And God wants you to desire Him. Some of you have never had that opportunity to say, God, transform my heart. Not just forgive my sins, transform my heart. That's the opportunity I want to create for you in just a moment. See, Nicodemus goes on from this moment, and we hear about him two more times. In John chapter 7, all the Pharisees are like gathering around Jesus, and they're mocking him, they're like criticizing him, saying, you're not that great. You, you kind of, 
we think you're lying to us. And Nicodemus hops up and he defends Jesus in front of all of his colleagues. He says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Nicodemus in John chapter 7 goes to defend Jesus. Jesus in John chapter 19 gives his life for the world and he dies. And the Bible tells us that Nicodemus and John of Arimathea, they go and take Jesus' body and bury him. We start to see the change, right? But we don't know. Only God knows what decision Nicodemus made. But here's what I know. Nicodemus encountered Jesus. That didn't mean he was saved. God starts the work. We respond to it. And I want to ask you this right now. Have you responded to the saving work of Jesus Christ? Have you been born again? And if you have, here's what I want to ask. Have you forgotten that your heart of flesh is not on you to keep beating? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling like Christianity is a weight on you, maybe you're practicing legalism and not the grace and freedom of Jesus to walk in relationship with your Savior and Lord and your friend. It's time for a new day, for a new season, and a new birth. And here's where it all matters. Where are you going to look today? Where are you going to look? Look to Jesus.